What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 175 on this Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. It's our last show of February already, if you can believe it. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? This show is going to go smoother than a <laughs> Avion Harmon layup drill. <laughs> wow. Uh, anything goes smoother than what happens in the Lloyd Noble Center when the men take the floor. Because, What'd you say before, Ryan? One home game left? Correct. One, one home game left against Thank GCU. You. Who's Boy, counting? It's softball season. It's already softball season. It's already softball season. There's only one home game left. Thank you. But I feel scary saying it because what happens if they host CBI games? <laughs> I don't need that in my life. We were talking about that last night. They're not going to have NIT. a winning record. They're not going to host NIT. They've they've lost too many games. But the don't CBI you? is that lurking thing floating. Don't you got to have a winning record to get into those two? I don't think uh, so. CBI, the bar is low. Yeah, I think the CBI is just who wants to play in it. Uh, I think that this should be a Coach <laughs> Calipari at Kentucky of like the NIT logo will not touch the floor at Rupp. You can't uh, let CBI. The CBI yeah. logo cannot touch the hallowed ground that is the Lloyd Noble Center uh, hardwood. And I admittedly don't. I'm not really up to speed on the CBI format. I don't really even know how many teams are in that thing. I need to look. I need to do some research, I guess. But uh, – yeah, I think any Power 5 team that wants to be in it, it don't matter if you win 0-30, they will take you. So if uh, they want to play more games, I think that's on the table. But we'll talk about men's hoops later, as per usual. We'll, we'll we'll save that for a little later. Not a ton of new ground to cover there, but we'll get there when we get there. Do have some football to talk about. We talked about last week on the show. We previewed it a little bit that Brent Venables had a press conference last Thursday, and then he let us talk to a billion new players. 25, I think, was the total number. 26. 26. 26 new players. We talked to all of them. The three of us, along with Ross Lovelace, we divide and conquered um, to get to talk to everybody. Videos of every guy are up on the, the site and on Who's YouTube. Um, so it's a lot there to learn from the guys. So we're going to recap it all. A uh, lot to digest, a lot to recap, but we'll, we'll do as best we can. We'll start with Brent, though. Uh, Brent Venables. In very Venables fashion, went for about 52 minutes last Thursday. Had a lot of uh, things to cover. We hadn't talked to him in a couple months. I don't think since the cheese at Bowl. Um, so that was the first time getting to hear from him. Covered a lot of things. So we'll just open it up. What stuck out to you guys? What was the big takeaway um, from Brent last Thursday? He did cover a lot of things um, on his own and then told us yeah. to go talk to the players, which you said there were 26 of them. 26 is uh, not even touching the the bottom of the bucket for how much how much new talent this team needs. He gave us the numbers. He broke down the numbers. Came back from the Cheez-It Bowl where 76 players were on the roster and 53 of those 76 are no longer with the team. That was right. stunning. That, when you look, when you do the math and lay it out like that, that's see the raw numbers, that's pretty stunning. Uh, and he said by June 1st, they're going to be trying to add 37 newcomers. So we got that to look forward to at All Sooners, all the different names coming in on the roster. Yeah, ton of change. Because when you think about that timeline from the Alamo Bowl just to now, not even two full years and, and everything that's happening. But um, I think you marry that with 
Brent Venable's comments on, you know, the transfer portal, and he was asked how big of an impact are those guys expected to make, the ones that you added. And he, he said, basically, we only brought in people that we felt are going to impact the team. And then as a part of another question, he kind of likened it to, to the older JUCO model of you only got two years with those guys, so you have to hit. There's an urgency on hitting with those guys. And he said that he feels kind of that same urgency in hitting with the transfers. So we've seen a lot of spots in this conference even um, turn things around. You think about Dave Aranda, what he did in year one versus winning the conference in year two. We've talked about the schedule and how it, oh, you, it broke for them favored. The posturing coming out of coming into spring feels like a no excuses posture. So I think that's the standard that uh, this program should be held to this year. Yeah, I agree. I think it was Brent. What was it exactly said? I think he said, we're trying to be great right now. I think it was exactly as how we phrased it at one point uh, in his 52 minutes. You know, not like you said, Ryan, like there's not a lot of eh, we need more time, like trying to baby it. He's he's being honest in that he they they need to step it up right away. He gets that, which I think Oklahoma fans are going to like. I appreciated the honesty in terms of linebacker depth. That was uh, another th- thing that stuck out to me in terms of him just being honest and, and Brent's been good about that, you know, with us, you know, in his, uh, his year as head coach, but he was like, I like our linebackers. I think we're in a good spot, but if there's an injury or two, ugh, it's a little scary, which is, you know, it's one thing for us to say it. It's one thing for Brent to say it. So I thought that was interesting. And then I, you know, obviously for us, he might just be, you know, buttering us up a little bit, but the media access conversation right at the end, talking about why he decided to give us, all 25, 26 newcomers um, at once before they'd even practiced at OU. Um, Austin Starkner notwithstanding, I guess. The fact that he, you know, was so open about that in terms of, he has such a refreshing attitude toward the media and him telling the guys, they're going to write and say what you tell them to write and say. How you play is going to dictate the conversation. You know, they're they're not being mean when they're talking about the poor level of play. That's That's what you're doing. You know, when you go six and seven last year. So if you're going to throw them all out there, give us a chance to meet them and and to learn about them. It was great. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But that was really refreshing and cool to hear from Brent, too. He has such a nice attitude toward that kind of thing. It just it was nice to hear. Yeah, it was. Um, March 22nd, save the date. March 22nd is the first yeah. day of spring practice. March 30th is pro day. And, of course, we knew this one. April 22nd is the uh, – Red white game. I got that right, right? April twenty second. Yeah. 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 Months from so, today is the camp, and then two months from today is the uh, spring game. Yep. Yep. So uh, Brent putting that out there uh, for planning purposes only, right? That's. I mean, sure. how cooperative? How great is it when your head coach that you cover is cooperative and gives you dates and can <laughs> let you plan your spring? It's pretty good. We appreciate it, Brent. Um, one thing I was a little disappointed with, and you, know, you can't complain too much about this, but. And I totally get where he's coming from. I don't think I would do it either. But when he was asked about an eight-game or a nine-game SEC schedule, he's like, I can't get into that. Uh, I'll play whoever they tell me to play. I have no preference. You know, I'm, I'm a young coach, uh, first, second-year coach. I'm not going to get into uh, – put something out there that people are going to pull apart both ways. So smart. He's very smart. Like I said, I think I would do the same thing, but I'm disappointed. I want the head coach that I cover to say, no, we need a nine-game schedule. That's what's best but it didn't happen. Learn that lesson from Dabo, who uh, can't stop getting shredded for his asinine comments when it comes to Dabo Sweeney and, oh, I should be paid whatever versus the players. No, 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 we can't pay the players. So 
uh, learned that one, I think, in his stint in Clemson. Anything to read into Brent's comments on Jackson Arnold? It was one of the ones that, that uh, caught, caught a little attention. And uh, here's the exact quote, if uh, you don't recall it or fans don't know what I'm referring to. He was talking about Jackson Arnold. He said he's a doer. He's ambitious. He's not waiting on anybody. He's not waiting to be great. He's at the back of the line right now, but probably not for long. Was what he talked about with Jackson Arnold. Does that sound like did, did you read anything into that in terms of he, he's giving Arnold a chance to play right away, or, or is that you know I don't think anything any to read question. into there? Yeah, no question. He's giving him a chance to play right away. Um, yeah. How much and and, and uh, in what situations? is up to Jackson Arnold, ultimately. If he goes in and shows he can handle the playbook and handle the checks and handle the reads and handle the adjustments and handle the protections, then he's capable of playing right away. If he if he has that ability, shows that ability in spring practice. Um, we've got a long way to go, and he's got a lot yeah. of learning to do. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but that, I think Brent is very confident that he can do it. It's not exactly a high bar behind Dylan Gabriel. Oklahoma did not trust a quarterback to throw a forward pass last year. Like, <laughs> frankly, we yeah. we saw what happened in, in the Cotton Bowl. And so, sure, I don't think it's really a high bar of him saying he's at the back of the line now. He won't be for long. Well, gosh, I would hope so because the guys that are in front of him on that line, you did not trust to even throw the football. You thought Davis Bevel was best served to this program to stand at wide receiver while it, you direct snapped it to everybody else in, in the Cotton Bowl. So that's one part of it. But I, I think there's also the acknowledgement of Brittman Wilson talked about, yes, there is a set date on the SEC. And I thought it was interesting that he kind of smirked. and was like, we're not going to run from those questions, but we're focused on being great. And like, you have to be good in the Big 12 right now. You know, one of those things. Uh-huh. Um, but I think kind of with an eye on that, yeah, I think Brent Venables and that staff are, are – circling this saying hey if everything goes to plan you have dylan gabriel dylan gabriel is a great year and then jackson arnold starting in 2024 maybe you want to find a way to get him not starts but snaps and game experience so he's not just totally green headed into the sec absolutely so if you haven't seen brent's presser it's not going anywhere it's still on the website allcenters.com and on whose youtube page from last thursday um, if you want to see everything else, he said he covered a lot of ground, 52 minutes of Brent. So, um, lots of good stuff there. We'll get him again here in about a month. Obviously, like he said, with spring camp starting on March 22nd pro day, that's a late pro day. Um, I remember last year it was the week of the big 12 tournament in basketball, which is obviously er- much earlier in March. So it's a, mo- a lot later pro day, uh, this year. And then, yeah, the spring game on April 22nd, more details for that coming as we uh, go along later on. And I think on the pro day, Josh, I think the scouts set that. I think the NFL sets that because they almost invariably, they almost always go to Oklahoma one day, Oklahoma state the next day, Tulsa the next day that changed last year. I think Tulsa got bumped back a couple of weeks, but just in general, I think the NFL sets those dates or at least throws them out there and says, can we do it on this date? And then of course the strength coach and the staff and the coaches all say, yeah, sure. That works with our calendar. So, but you're right. A little bit on the light side. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because like I said, I remember last year it was we did it, and then we Ryan and I hopped in the car, went to Kansas City right after. So that's like the first week of March. So yeah, definitely a big difference. Not that it changes things too much, but a uh, little little adjustment there on the calendar. What about the players? Uh, we mentioned ton of players, twenty six guys in total. Like I said, we divided and conquered on this, so there wasn't a ton of overlap. There's some, but not a ton of overlap 
and the guys we talked to, each each one of us with Ross looping in, we talked about five or six guys or so. That way we could get videos of all the guys, cover all the cover all the ground. There was no way any one of us was going to get to all 25 or whatever. There were 20 speaking at the same time. At the, at the exact same time, literally. <laughs> 20! So we had a strategy. We had a game plan, and it worked. We had videos for every guy. Um, some serious ground covered uh, last Thursday. What jumped out? I mean, what was the best thing you heard? Who who you talk to that impressed you? Whatever, whatever uh, you want to dive into from last week. I'm still looking for my socks from when I talked to Dasan McCulloch. Dasan McCulloch knocked my socks off when, at the interview that he checked that out. You guys need again all centers. You know their address by now. His interview was very, very, very good. Um, and it, it, we've what we've done. We've started. Uh, at all, our website, All Sooners, we've started a new, a new series, which was planned, but then they dropped these interviews right in front of it. So I was planning on having a, a series on the 11 newcomers, right? Well, I'm going to have a series on the 11 newcomers, only we're going to get to talk to each one, all 11 of them. Um, we talked to the freshmen back in January, so that's no big deal, December and January. So no big deal there, right? But uh, we've got plenty of audio video there. What what I started with on the on the series was um, Desan McCulloch, transfer from Indiana. Uh, Jacob Lacey, transfer from Notre Dame. Uh, Trace Ford, transfer from Oklahoma State. You see the theme there, right? It's a defensive theme. Guys are being called in here, dragged in from other schools to help fix the defense. And if you watch these interviews, if you watch the the, the little press conferences these guys did. Listen to some of the questions. Some of them are silly. Some of them are kind of exploratory, but a lot of them are football oriented. And those guys talked a lot of football. And I think that's uh, that's something that all of them they're looking forward to that opportunity to get finally on the practice field, mm. right, uh, away from the coaching stations, away from Schmitty, on the practice field, and show Coach Venables what they can do. Yeah, and when you flip that over to the offense, I had a lot of those guys. Um, obviously, talk to. One offense, one defense, Jack Snarl and Peyton Bowen head over to all Sooners. We've covered pretty extensively the Peyton Bowen flip, the Jack Snarl recruitment, all of that stuff. So I was more interested in, okay, all of that's happened. You, you guys have read that at allsooners.com. Now that you're here, what's it been like your first month or so on campus kind of settling in? What's all that been like? So kind of an interesting just dynamic with Arnold and Bowen of how they've continued to uh, – Grow is now college teammates, but I got to talk to Walter Rouse, the the offensive tackle coming in from Stanford. Uh, we want to just hit all the stereotypes of offensive lineman from Stanford. You assume he's going to be brilliant. Yeah. He sits down and talks. You're just like, yep, brilliant. Uh, but it, it was just interesting to kind of hear him talk about how he had everything lined out last year that he was going to play one more year at Stanford, head to the pros. So much so that you know, he's a biomedical engineering major. He had said that he wasn't going to finish two or three of those classes and come back and, and finish out that degree after whatever his pro career was. Then he has the labrum that he has to get repaired, which which sets him back. Now he needs to come back to college for one more year, opts to hit the transfer portal, commits to Nebraska. But then he said that he, when he thought about it and thought about it some more, he didn't want to get wrapped up in the moment. And he, he found that Oklahoma was the spot that he wanted to be. And so I think that's just an interesting story as a guy that, is going to miss all the contact portion of spring because of that labrum that, that he's got. And so what can he do as far as coming in, 
learning the offense and being a vocal leader for a young offensive line group, despite the fact that he's not going to be actually out on the field until summer and into fall. I'll throw a couple more quick ones at you. Um, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest, defensive end. Uh He's going to play. He's going to be on the field a lot. He's going to put up numbers. Uh, That is my bold prediction for 2023. I predict Rondell Bothroyd. And I asked him, by the way, how do you pronounce your last name? Bothroyd. Great. That's the most important question you asked. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of the hard-hitting ones, right? (laughs) Uh, And then I talked to Andrell Anthony with the recorder off, which was interesting. I'll give you guys a little – if you're watching on video, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. Um, So – you know, I was just like, so, uh, you know, the, the interviews had wrapped up and I walked up at the end and I said, Andrew Anthony, Michigan wide receiver. Nice to meet you. Told him who I was, what we do. I said, how's it been? How's it going? Uh, he said, it's been good. It's been fine. You guys are great. Media people here are nice. It's, uh, Oklahoma people are really nice. I like, li- like living here so far. Keep in mind, this was one of the fastest players on the Michigan roster. And now he's catching passes for OU. So you can get excited about that. But again, we didn't have the recorder going, just having a conversation. And he was telling me about, you know, the weather here and the, the food here and stuff like that. It was really cool. Yeah. And then I asked him, you know, a simple question. I won't tell you what it was, but it's just a simple, you know, what do you think about this? And he looked down at the, somebody had left their recorder on the table in front of him and it was still recording. And he goes, he points at the recorder and he kind of went like, I don't want to say it while the recorder's going. And I just reached over and turned the recorder off and said, <laughs> okay. So we, we started talking about the, t- the subject material. He trusted me to answer that off the record the first time we'd met it. It was pretty, pretty unusual, pretty unexpected, and pretty interesting. It, it's clear, and we talked about it last year too, kind of more so with the coaching hires. Um, but it, it's true of these transfers. They all have that same kind of, yeah. I see why Brent Venables like this guy thing i don't even know the right word for that like but they just seem like personality fits like i see why they like brent i see why brent likes them it makes sense and what did he joke about with the song mccullough they were like you know old sorority girlfriends yeah. catching up basically <laughs> when they talk on the phone like just giddy talking to each other which is hilarious visual but yeah um, it, you know you, you can see it when they all the way they interact that you can you can tell to bring up a, a name from the past that nobody wants to hear from lincoln riley when the porter when the when the portal opened he said the, the first class of guys that they brought in, he said it was about business and the, about them coming in and taking care of their business at Oklahoma and moving on to the next phase of their life, mm-hmm. which they want to be the NFL draft. They come in with a maturity and a lot more um, development, I guess, emotionally. You know, they're not freshmen. They're not wide-eyed. They're talking to the coaching staff and they're looking for their best opportunity. Well, it's the same as recruiting, right? No, it's not because they know – how full of crap some of these coach pitches can be, some of these coaching pitches. So they've lived through, they've lived that life already, and they have some experience as to what they've already been told, what's already been shared with them, what their vision actually is now, now that they've lived it for a couple of years. So, yeah, see those guys come in mature and have something to say about their situation uh, and where they want to go in life. It's pretty cool. Well, you speak of Andrew Anthony, and on the record conversation we had with him, uh, I was just talking about that that exact thing. Okay, so highly recruited Michigan, like you're used to the glitz and glamour side of recruiting college football. What's the portal process like? And he's like, bro, get eliminated from the semifinal, hit the portal on a Wednesday. On Friday, you're making plans to go visit Norman, and by Sunday, I'm committed. And I'm just like, so that is nothing like – he's like, no, it was it's high school recruiting on steroids, what was his yeah. words. And 
And, and I think that you kind of see to your to your point, Hoove, that you, you kind of know what you want. You kind of know what you're looking for. And a lot of those guys, when they find it, there's not a second or third visit necessary because it, it's no longer that we've well, got five visits. Take them all to see the see the country. It's no, no, no. I'm locked in. I want my spot. I'd like to reserve my spot. I'm committed. I'm here. We'll see you in the uh, winter workout period. Yeah, I think it was Dasan that said he f- he went that same path. Um, jumped in the portal, heard from uh, Coach uh, Venables, you know, immediately, like you said, catching up like sorority sisters. And then, uh, hey, you want to come to Norman? Yeah, I'd like to come to Norman. Okay, here's the here's a plane ticket. Here's the date. They show up and he commits right there. Like, wow. He knew exactly what he wanted. And the fact that his brother, younger brother, had already committed. Uh, he's got an older brother who's in the portal right now, who's I wouldn't think is going to play much. He's coming off several injuries, a career full of injuries. Uh, Deland Jr., I guess, or Deland II. Um, interesting. Uh, did you guys, uh, when Desan got here, did you guys look up his dad's story, Deland Sr.? No, not not past just him being at Indiana and then over to Notre Dame. ESPN, Sarah Spain wrote a story a couple of years ago, uh, back when he was the running backs coach for the chiefs. And, you know, you pull apart a guy's story and really get into, he was a, he was put up for adoption as an infant. And then he went out into the world as an adopted kid talking about Delan McCullough here, the father, the, the son's father. Goes out in the world, makes his way, gets into coach, gets into football, gets into coaching. Uh, <laughs> just an incredible story. One of his coaching mentors was Sherman Smith, who played running back in the seventies for the Seahawks and has been a longtime coach. Sherman Smith and him became like best friends. Like I said, mentors. They went, they coached together, and people were like, "Man, you guys look alike. You guys talk alike. You guys, you guys might be." Long lost, you know, separated at the in the front at the in the crib or something. Sherman Smith was actually his father, his biological father. They went and found him, and they said, "You're my, you're my dad." They'd known each other for like thirty years. It's unbelievable, the story of his. So, uh, to know that Desan yeah. comes from that kind of makeup, that kind of determination, that kind of focus, and that kind of grit, it's a special story. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that's that's nuts. And uh, yeah, no, Desan, I think everybody is that guy's going to settle in just fine and uh, be a big part of that team right away. A couple for me to wrap up. Uh, I talked to PJ out of board of like 10 minutes. He was great. Um, you know, I, I think it, it goes not touching a lot of new ground here, but he's going to be really fun at Oklahoma. I, I when I come up to him, and I, I shake his hand and his his hand. I mean, he could have just crushed me if he wanted. He didn't. He was nice. But he could have just just destroyed like it was a origami, like he, he ginormous hands. And uh, when that guy puts on more weight, because he's big and stuff already, and he doesn't weigh that much relative to his position, he puts on more weight. He's going to be a legitimately scary person. Um, but he was a, he was great, um, very relaxed, kind of that understated confidence that we talk about a lot with these Venables guys. He was awesome. And then um, two, I'll throw in Austin Stogner. I talked to him for eight nine minutes. Just you can really tell how excited he is to be back. Like it's not like a, yeah, this is cool. Like he really like he wears it. It's like almost relief. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but he just the comfort level is so apparent um, when he's talking about how excited he is to be back and all that stuff. 
And um, he's talking about how it, it feels like I've slipped right back in, but it does feel different at the same time because it, it is different, you know, Venables as opposed to Lincoln Riley and all that stuff. And he made the joke, you know, that's why I'm wearing 81 now. It's the same numbers, but they're different. It's the same, but different. You know, um, he also said, Caden Helms wearing 18 also had something to do with that. I probably would have taken 18 if it was available, but it's not. But really cool to see what he can do uh, getting back to it. Clearly very excited and very comfortable to be uh, to be back as well. So uh, his the conversation with him was good. I recommend that one as well. Uh, no, I'll add something. Yeah, about. Josh, I'll add something to, to Austin Stogner as well. I asked him kind of in a – as the interviews were winding down situation, mm. some conversation was a little looser. I said, you got to watch Braden Willis last year, right? Oh, yeah, no, he, I did. You saw what a playmaker he became, right? Oh, yeah, they really, really loved throwing the football to him. He was a, a go-to guy. That helped your situation coming here to play for Jeff Levy in that role? Oh, 100%. 100%. So, yeah, yeah he's looking forward to uh, getting in there and putting up some big numbers. Yeah, he said, uh, Stogner said that he watched every Oklahoma game last year. Um, he tuned in. If he couldn't watch it live, he'd watch it back after the fact. Um, he just kind of squidward through the window, even though you didn't have as good of a season in South Carolina. Uh, he he kind of missed it, it felt like. that, and For lack of a better, you know, he – he kind of wished he was still in Norman. So the fact that he's back and uh, he, he's happy to be back. Also, one one last quick one. Shout out Eric McCarty for his honesty. He said that Schmitty's made him throw up like multiple times already. And I just appreciated that honesty. Everybody else kind of played it off a little bit. Like, yeah, it's been tough, you know, but we're getting through it. Eric McCarty was like, oh, it's brutal. I've thrown up like every time. <laughs> so I appreciated that. You had that, and then you had uh, Caleb Schaefer, the, the other offensive lineman coming in, who was just like, this is probably gross, but I like look forward to that kind of adversity of like where you're like on your knees on the side, just like I, I need to throw up. but I'm, And I'm just like, you are built different, different my friend, and I am yeah. glad that I'm glad that there are people like you so that uh, I don't have to be in that spot of looking forward to potentially like, do I have to throw up or not? It's not a feeling I look forward to. In we line. need him. We need him on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I, I try to avoid that at all costs. Well, and the best part, too, is, guys, seriously, go watch the Caleb Schaefer interview. I know we just chucked everything on He is, first off, funny. He's a kid from the Big Ten footprint that immediately was like, yeah, OU Texas. That's what like what I talked about with my friends as a kid. And I was like, the game? Like He's like, yeah, that's good, too. But like, OU Texas. And then just his thoughts on mental health and athletics and that's a, a prevalent conversation around what we're going to talk about in the third segment here with some of the other non-football sports things like that just a really really impressive guy i'll be interested to see if he, he has any kind of role just as um not a ton of expectations for miami of ohio stepping up in uh to a new group but he he is going to be doing something remarkable here in a, a couple of years, regardless of that's in the NFL or, or whatever he wants to. He's, he seems like he's got everything screwed on the right spot. Absolutely. So like we said, uh, like Ryan joke, we, we pumped like half of the videos. They're all there on allcenters.com on who's YouTube page, John over media. We, it was an undertaking. I, we were a little nervous, I guess that how are we going to be able to pull this off? And we did, we got videos of every guy. They're all there. So check them out. They're not going anywhere. Learn about these guys uh, a little bit. Ulcers.com and on who's YouTube. And uh, yeah, we look forward to spring getting started in just about a month. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll dive into the transfers a little bit more. 
now that we've talked to them all, which guy are we most excited to actually see put the pads on? Who's going to make the biggest impact? We'll talk about that a little bit, along with some other football housekeeping items as well. And then, of course, later on, with some other sports on the back end. Coming up here next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement. 25 bucks a month. And the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover? I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two of the All Sooners podcast. Talked about it in the last segment. We talked to all uh, or, or 11 of the transfers. Was there a couple that we didn't get to talk to? We got 11 transfers and we got 14 newcomers, freshmen. Uh, plus Dolby the Juco. Right. The, only, right. the only person who showed up that we didn't get a video with was Chapman McCown, the walk-on freshman running back. So we got a bunch of the transfers, obviously. We've talked to a lot of them now. And uh, we spring camp, like we said earlier, is a month away from starting. So just to kind of peek away, look ahead a little bit. Now that we've talked to them, obviously the portal's closed until after spring. So this is this is what they have. Who are we most excited to see actually put the pads on and get out there in spring camp? And who are we thinking is going to have the biggest potential impact? But I guess more tying into spring, who are most interested in seeing what they look like? Is it Bothroyd, Stogner? You know, obviously there's lots of options here. Trace Ford. Who, who jumps out to you as I can't wait to get to that first open practice and go look at what this guy looks like? Well, they've got, you know, Brent talked about it. Uh, I think on signing day back December 21st, he talked about the number of uh, openings that they have at the defensive line position. Yeah. So for me, that's where it starts. That's where my series of transfer tales starts. Um, well, I, I want to tell these guys' story as quickly as possible because they're the ones who are being brought in here to help. We're, we're doing this, and we need to do that. We need you here to do – they went out and got these guys for a specific pre- – you know, not just like a Reggie Pearson who from Texas Tech, hey, we saw him play. He can play football. He's really good. We can find a place for him. Uh, we got both, you know, safeties back and we got corners back and this and that and the other. But we'll find a place for him. That's that's kind of the way you look at some of these guys. Other guys, like these D-line guys, you got to hit. Rondell Bothroyd has to come in and play some really meaningful snaps. I don't know if that's in front of Reggie Grimes, behind Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. We don't know. But he's going to come in and he's going to play some good defensive end snaps. He's going to make some plays. Uh, one guy that I want to see practice is uh, Jacob Lacey, the transfer from Notre Dame. Yeah, he can play nose guard. You know, I talked to Brian Driscoll, who's the publisher at the uh, the, the Notre Dame SI site, uh, Irish Breakdown. 
and he gave me some good insight on him. He said that uh, he could play that three tech or he could play that nose guard if he need to. You know, but he's he's not a massive guy. He's not three forty. He's not three. He's not even really three hundred. He's about two ninety, but could probably play best at about two eighty. He said that he would be best served as a three technique, punching through the line, punching through, creating disruptions at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's got, he's really quick, so getting off that first snap is somebody uh, is something that I want to see uh, what Jake, um, Jacob Lacey can do. Yeah, I think it has to start with Bothroyd and Ford for me because the defensive end play was a joke last year. There was no development. They were Oklahoma could not set the edge. Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs, great dudes, but in year one making that transition, weren't able to do it and be effective whatsoever. So not only those guys, what do they look like out there, but year two, another winter for Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs to to – continue to work and kind of transform their bodies. I think that work needs uh, to continue. So to see that whole crew together, it's going to be interesting. And then I elsewhere on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, McCullough, just seeing him out there as well, because that's a guy that needs to step in and needs to take on a lion's share of the, the snaps left behind by Deshaun White. New cheetah. New cheetah. For me, uh, looking over on offense, <clears throat> we talked about just a minute ago, uh, Angel Anthony, like who said, Super fast uh, over there at Michigan. Guy who played a lot of games. Um, still a young guy, obviously, as well. Excited to see what he looks like out there, just running routes and stuff. Is he one of those guys who pops out at you like, ooh, yeah, he's got some burst kind of a thing. Looking forward to see what he looks like. Because, I mean, the receiving crew is kind of weird. Because Jalil Farouk's your number one. Drake Stoops back. And then it's kind of like, okay, there's lots of guys here. But, like, who 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 is the who's stepping up there in that next wave? So, why not Angel Anthony? We'll see what he does. Obviously, you have those young guys, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, that they're hoping will step up, but some questions there. So, interesting to see what he looks like. And then uh, the tight ends as well, both Austin Stogner and Blake Smith, who came in from Texas A&M. You know, I'm, obviously, if you're with us in 2021, not to just rehash old points, it drove me insane how little the tight ends were used. When Stogner was here the last time, last year, Jeff Lebby threw Braden Mills the ball a lot. Daniel Parker was more the blocking guy, but he made some plays uh, early in the season when he was, you know, before he had his off-the-field stuff. How do those guys look? Because I think Austin Sardin's got a chance to have a really big year. And then Blake Smith, just learning more about him, um, just what kind of a player is he going to be? Is he strictly going to be the Daniel Parker blocking guy? Or will he get out there and, and show some athleticism? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll get a better idea, you know, in the spring. So those guys, uh, to me, looking forward to it, though. Um like I said, this is the last show of February. Spring camp is just a month away. So we'll get a, a little more, uh, just a little breadcrumbs of info into what this team is like, and uh, which is which is nice. Looking forward to that in uh, just about a month from now. So uh, obviously we'll have more time to preview spring, but coming up. My story on uh, Reggie Pearson is going to run this afternoon, and he was really cool in telling me something. Uh, I just asked him the question. I said, has uh, Dylan Gabriel forgiven you yet for breaking him in half in the Tech <laughs> game? And he said, we talked about it. He said, we've actually grown kind of close to that. He, because of that, he said, uh, I, he said, I went up to introduce myself. He came up and said, bro, why you got to hit me so hard? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, that's not the relationship on staff. I want to know. I want to know if Reggie Pearson has interacted with Jeff Levy asking, why the hell would you leave your quarterback out to dry on the first play of overtime? That's the yeah. interaction on uh, within the program I'm actually interested in. He might ask that question on senior night. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's going to ask it before then. That was a- <laughs> Go just walk up to Levy and 
you don't respect me. You don't respect <laughs> what I could do if you let your quarterback out there. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't even talk about Reggie Pearson too, who's yeah, uh, I think as Danny Stutzman called it in that video, the hardest hitter on the team. Um, so he's he's gonna be another fun one. They've made some nice pickups here in the portal. Uh, yeah, they need they need to find a home for him because he's that got a lot do. of experience. Talk to Don Williams at the sports editor at the uh, Lubbock, Lubbock Avalanche Journal mm-hmm. about him and his kind of history. And he's like, bro, you got to call his dad. I haven't had time yet to call his dad, but uh, Reggie explained why he would want me to call his dad. His dad's a huge influence on his life. Said he's yeah. like a business partner, kind of the way they uh, they go through they go through some things recently. So it's interesting. Lots of exciting additions, and that doesn't even talk about obviously all the freshmen. I mean, we're all excited to see PJ and Peyton and, and Jackson Arnold, all those guys as well. Spring's exciting. Looking forward to it a month from now. Some other housekeeping items here to wrap up uh, football talk. Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte, supposedly, pushing for the OU-Texas game to go to 230 permanently once the SEC move is made. I had heard a little bit about this um, before, some kind of just tricklings that supposedly ESPN is going to have that CBS 230 slot because obviously CBS won't have the SEC anymore. And so they want to put the premier SEC game in that spot still. They don't want to move it tonight. They want to leave it at 230, and that would mean OU-Texas – would be in the 230 spot every year, basically. What do we make of this? Because obviously the, the conversation comes up every time. Could they ever play this thing at night? The fear there is people would would be gravely injured if they play this thing at night. Um, but the 230 kick, I mean, it. we joke about it all the time. Media hates 230 because it's like it takes away your morning and your night. But I don't know. We'll see if this move happens. But the OU Texas just feels like an 11 a.m. game to me. Yeah, so uh, I saw uh, Bob Stoops said yesterday on the ref, uh, a little interview, weekly interview that he does, said that uh, as a as a coach, eleven a.m. was way better. As a as a spectator, just going to the game and having fun, two thirty is way better. I totally get that. I mean, that's sure. that's a hundred percent accurate. Fans want two thirty. Fans want to walk out of there after dark, you know, or as the sun's setting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Del Conte has the, the swing yet to, to walk into the SEC and tell them what he wants and can you get me this. I don't think he's got that kind of cachet yet. Uh, he can make probably suggestions as the new guy. Hey, what would y'all think about this? You know, playing <clears throat> playing this OU Texas game at 2.30. Look at the window, the opportunity that you would have to reschedule around it. So uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I'm not crazy about – getting to the uh, Cotton Bowl, because you still got to beat the crowd. Me, personally, okay? I'm not talking about the fans. You still got to beat the crowd. And that means if they're kicking off at 2.30, that you got to beat the crowd by getting there at 11-ish at the latest, right? And work your way through the the fans and work your way through the The vendors and the the carnies and all the... And then you get out of there and it's dark. I mean, by the time we get out of there, of course, it's going to be real dark. It's going to be real late, so... I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that. I'd kind of prefer to get it done early. I may not be the best person to ask because the earlier the game, it just means the earlier my radio shift is. So I'm usually just like, nope, push that bad boy back. I, me and mornings <laughs> do not get along generally. Uh, first off, it's is it not the most Texas thing ever? Who is Texas has come in and destroyed two conferences already. That's the Texas way. Before they've even gotten to the SEC, their athletic director's like, we're playing this game at 2.30, damn it. And that's the Texas way. So uh, just 
every 10 out of 10 no notes from Chris Del Conte everything I expected of Texas trying to acclimate to the SEC is already happening and it's glorious uh as far as that goes I think it's a no-brainer to play at 230 frankly that's how the SEC schedule is built every week right like they know hey you don't put Alabama and LSU on the same weekend as Georgia, Florida. Why? So that you can have your marquee showpiece game. ESPN unloaded an absurd amount of money for one time slot every week. So they want you, you being the SEC, to, to give them, feed them up a marquee game every week. And so it, I think it just makes a ton of sense. It's been done before. It's not like it's a, oh my gosh, it's only been at 2.30 once ever or anything like that. Like it. Usually about once or twice a decade, it pops through kind of in the modern college football TV window. So I think it'll be fine. It just means that they're 100% the losing team will just clear straight out of the fair and, and the, the winning fan base can can fare after dark when it gets a little bit less miserable because the sun's no longer beating down over you. It'll still be humid. There will still be vomit everywhere, but it'll be fine. Ryan, uh, to carry your point a little further, um, I think it was last week, Greg Sankey went on with uh, with Feinbaum, and they talked about the SEC championship game moving west, okay, moving into other footprints. I've been beating this drum for like two years. Where where do you think he got that idea? From the Texas Athletic Tractor, maybe? <laughs> hey, we can play this at Jerry World. Yeah. Hey, that uh, I think I think there's some of that the Texas hijinks going on, just like you illustrated. Hey, well, not just Texas, but literally from the moment this SEC thing happened, what, what I've been yeah. telling you guys for two years, Jerry Jones, Arkansas guy, is going to pick up the phone and be like, how much does it cost to alternate the championship game between Atlanta and Dallas? How much? I will pay it. Make it happen. Hey, easier for us. So I'm on board if, if uh, that were to happen. I will say to wrap up the conversation about moving the game back, as somebody who attended the University of Oklahoma, and I, as a student, went to this game, both when it was at 11, and it was at 2.30 once. I want to say the Baker Mayfield does it year was a 2.30 kick, I'm pretty sure. And I went to that game. 11 a.m., it's really hard to get there in time uh, for kick. I mean, if you leave like when we do, like right now we get to the fair at like 8. Like we – we because you can't. There, that window, the traffic is so insane. Taking a train takes forever. It's hard to get there in like the money zone if you're a fan of like 9 to 10. Like you either got to get there real early – or just cut it close. That's like your only options. The 2.30 thing, but the plus of the 11 is that you have the whole day of the fair after. For 2.30, it's like you don't have a lot of time before or after because it is kind of a sketchy area of the of Dallas. You don't, you're not like crazy about hanging out there really late on uh, that Saturday night. So it kind of, it warps your whole day a little bit. I don't know. There's pros and cons both ways. I'd kind of like it just to stay. But it's going to move, so it's just have to make our peace with it uh, in due time. Oklahoma added a tight end. You've got to get your reaction to this. I'm not going to pretend to break down what kind of an addition he is. This young man, I hope I'm getting the name right, Joshua Fanuel. I hope I didn't just totally butcher that. He's from Missouri City, Texas. He comes from Cameron University, which is in Lawton, uh, so not that far away. Not that crazy to add a guy, a college athlete. I know it's Cameron Small, Lawton. He's a basketball player at Lawton, and they added him to be a tight end. What is this? I actually, you might be surprised. I had multiple people text me like, what is going on? Why are they adding a Lawton, a Cameron University basketball player um, to the roster? What do you make of this? Why, why would you do this? 
uh, bodies, <laughs> a, a dearth of uh, talent maybe overall at the um, at the tight end position right now. They they need some development. They need somebody to come in here and develop. Uh, I don't know. I'm throwing stuff out there against the wall to see what sticks. Uh, what I do know is that he's very athletic. He played power forward in high school, 6'5", 220, 225, wants to play at about 230. Um, told me he's about 215 as a freshman when he came into the Cameron basketball team. Um, very athletic, as you would expect a big, a big basketball player to be. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to interview him. Um, because he's actually now with currently with the team. He's working out. This isn't a deal where he's going to come in in the summer. He's actually with the team. He's wearing the gear. He's working out every day with, with the coaching stations and the Schmitty uh-huh. workouts. But he told me uh, via Twitter that his uh, – via DMs, his last season to play basketball was his sophomore year. He played – I'm sorry, football. He played football through his sophomore year of high school. So he's played it. Missouri City, Texas, sophomore year, probably hasn't played it at a, at a real high level, but he's played the game, and I think what's going on here is he's just chasing his dream. He entered the transfer portal uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, fe- uh, start of February. Entered the transfer portal start of February. Uh, he made the deadline, apparently, the January 19th deadline, so he entered the transfer portal then, but it was announced uh, February 2nd that he was in the portal. Um and he's a guy, like I said, I think he's just chasing his dream. Like, I think I can do this. I'd like to prove myself. I think I'm a better athlete than just being a, a third scoring option for Division II school in Lawton, Oklahoma. I think I can play mm-hmm. football. So good for him. That's pretty exciting. Clearly what's happened here is Joe John Finley has identified the next Antonio Gates. An Oklahoma fan exactly. should ramp up their expectations accordingly. Yeah. He will be Hall all of Fame. Hall of Fame tight end, uh, both College Football Hall of Fame and the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I think that that should be the expectation for him. No, uh, G- Brett Venables, and, and they've shown Brett Venables talked about this in his introductory Cheese It Bowl press conference, the the Zoom press conference, right as the Cheese It Bowl had been announced that they are going to aggressively use this this year as the last year with um, the the roster limits kind of thrown out there to restock your roster with COVID. They were going to use it to bring in a bunch of new guys and try to reshape the roster. And so if you're looking for tight end depth and you don't have a cap on how many guys you can come on and bring in, it's just making the scholarships work where everyone's happy, whether they're a walk-on or not. I think that you saw a lot of this as as Oklahoma aggressively hit the preferred walk-on market too, just as far as bring in a ton of talent for the scout team. And if nothing else, if you've got a ton of hungry guys, the scholarship players that are on scout team cannot just sleepwalk through that or they're going to get busted up a little bit. And so I, I think it just kind of starts for a lot of these guys. You may not see any impact as far as them. They themselves are making plays on Saturdays. I think what Brett Venables and the staff are trying to do is be like, there is so much competition happening that it will make everyone else better. And the ones that do play, they, they've earned that spot. That's what, that's what they're trying to do. I think, as well, um, someone who might be interested in his services as uh, <laughs> Porter Moser. He, he was on yeah. the McDonald's All-America nominee list. Okay, He was uh, district MVP and top region MVP, region region three team, all that stuff in high school. Uh, he's He scored, I think, double digits four times when he, when he was at Cameron last year as a freshman. So makes you wonder. Um, 
Yeah. Porter, Porter might give Brent Venables a call and say, can you ship him over here for a couple of games? How I mean, tall is he again? He's six five. Oh, that's about perfect. That's perfect. For right Undersized. That's perfect. That's that's what that's all they want. <laughs> it's perfect. Like Play him at center. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to Ryan's point before, I mean, it, there there is somewhat of a precedent, I guess, for basketball guys coming and playing specifically tight end and being productive. I mean, Mo Ali Cox, another big example, uh, basketball player at UCF, right? And he went to the Colts, and he was like their starting tight end for a while. Um, so. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I will say the most encouraging thing is from uh, this tweet you put in your story who from Cameron, his favorite food is sushi. That's not a very tight end favorite food. (laughs) I don't know about that. Yeah, that you you need, you need something a little bit more gritty to uh, like steak or something. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a sushi guy though. That's, that's just me. That's just me. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what uh, another one. We'll look for him in the spring. I don't know. It just it, it caught it caught my eye. It's weird. Yeah, it's it, it, not it's something you see every day. Yeah, totally no. unexpected. And it goes back to our very first thing we said, which was Brent Venables has got to replace thirty-seven guys between now and June first. So uh, this is part of that process. Absolutely true. All right, flipping over to some alternate football to wrap up XFL opening weekend. And uh, I promise you we're not going to talk about XFL every weekend. But it was the first weekend, so we'll, we'll touch on it real quick. Bob Stoops, 1-0. Well done. They hung on uh, in the last moments there to win their game. Can't remember who they were playing right off some, right the top of my Vegas head. Vipers. Vegas Vipers, that's right. Jeff Bidette scored two touchdowns. Yeah, they win despite Jeff Bidette going for two tutties uh, for the Vipers. Early MVP uh, candidate, Jeff Bidette of the XFL. And then in the USFL... Yesterday, Deshaun White, Jeffrey Johnson, both drafted. I don't know what that means because they got the combine coming up, no. and you got the NFL draft. I don't know. I don't know if the USFL is just taking guys they think they might be able to come play, or if I don't know. I don't. It, it's a confusing thing. Um, but shout out to Deshaun and Jeffrey Johnson getting yeah. drafted by the USFL. The the way I understand this is they're drafting their their rights like a normal draft, right? They, they're not like saying, okay, we drafted you. You can't go play for the NFL now. Obviously, if the, the NFL is right. an option, uh, they're going to be able to do that. But they if, if they get cut anytime in the next year from their NFL team, they'll always have this spot to fall back on as a draft pick because uh, the team owns their draft rights. Um, I think that's the way it's going to work. But the timing of the USFL draft – could it could it not be better or could it not be worse? Is it as good as it can be or is it as bad as it can be is what I'm asking because <laughs> you've got right now these guys are training for their pro day. They they didn't get they didn't get invited to the combine, so they're really focused, really getting into the, right. the weeds on on uh, their pro day, how to you know get out of a stance and how to break that forty uh, you know first ten and how to what their steps are on that L drill and all that the three cone stuff and all that right. They're trying to figure out the nuances of that, and then boom, they get drafted by this league. They're not going to drop their NFL combine training or their pro day training and go play in this league, are they? Where they could get some real world snaps and some applications of some professional defensive coordinators and stuff like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would go. I would continue training and hope that somebody drafts me in the NFL draft and get my shot. But it's nice to have that fallback, I guess, huh? 
Yeah, nice to have the fallback. I think the USFL got what they wanted, and Deshaun White quote tweeted the graphic with like a thanks type thing. And so the USFL, <laughs> they got the engagement that they want. I think that literally that, that's probably why it's there. Um, but yeah, it, these guys are going to be full speed ahead on the NFL. There's, And then if, like, I would imagine that worst case scenario, you try to do the undrafted free agent and grind for a year and sit out and not play football for you, trying to make practice squad after practice squad before you circle back to, like, the USFL next spring. So maybe the USFL... It's looking forward to stocking their roster next year. Who knows on that? Back to the uh, XFL, though, real quick. Bob Stoops gets the win, but that performance was more Iowa alumni Bob Stoops than Oklahoma legend Bob Stoops as the Arlington Renegades make that comeback without scoring an offensive touchdown. A couple of defensive scores, a whole lot of field goals, no offensive touchdown. Maybe he needs to pick up the phone and see if Lander will come back. I miss Landry. It wasn't the same without Landry. Uh, it was him last time was so great and uh, wasn't quite the same. He needs to get another former OU quarterback in there. Maybe like, I don't Trevor know, maybe, what, what's Paul Thompson doing? <laughs> so I, think, I think Paul's <laughs> off the market, but Trevor Knight might work. You get Micah Bowens, Trevor Knight, the, yeah, the prince work. that was promised. Get Micah Bowens in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, the, you know, the USFL too, They why not just like shoot your shot, draft like Bryce Young? Blake Bell. Why not? Blake, Blake Bell, Bell's quarterback. Blake Bell's winning Super Bowl rings, though. He's got enough Super Bowl rings. He's <laughs> He could go play quarterback switch now. Back finally. To quarterback. Yeah, switch back to quarterback. Bring back the Belldozer. Uh, maybe Cody Thomas <laughs> wants to hang it up on the baseball career. Go give it a shot in, uh, in the in the XFL. But uh, alternate football. I still like I. It's nice to have football on, I guess. Beats we'll the hell out of watching out. college basketball. In these parts, yes. Yeah. Um, in these here parts. Same can be said for our friends in Stillwater. It's rough right now. It's all bad. Not, not in Tulsa, though. Or Roberts. I'll sleep on those Golden Eagles in Hooves neck of the woods. That's the best team mm-hmm. in the state by far. Yeah. yeah. By um, far. You don't want to play them in a, in a first-round game, trust me. <laughs> no. No, not at all. Not okay, at all. We learned no. that a few years ago. And Max Aismas still there, which is insane. It's all crazy. Right. How is he still there? It's it's absurd. It's insane. It's insane that he's still in college, but also insane that he didn't jump yeah. to a bigger program. Well, that's like yeah. his his running mate O'Banner was torching OU last night. Right, right. And they're still doing this. With that, imagine if they still had him there. Pretty uh, pretty amazing what they got going on. And it just makes the situation Norman that much worse. It does. It twists the knife a little bit. It's like look what he's doing. Paul Mills, who was also a candidate for the OU job, look what he was doing uh, with Oral Roberts. But we'll 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 we'll, we'll put a pin in that. Basketball coming up on the other side of, the, of this next break. It's dire. It's dire. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Women keep winning, though. And we'll talk about some Diamond Sports softball taking a surprising loss. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. Baseball opening weekend wrap-up uh, coming up next here on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners.
final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 175. Hit some other sports here on the way out. Here we are again. Let's do it. Men's hoops. A couple more losses since the last show. 13 and 15 on the year. They're 3 and 12 in Big 12 play. 3 and 12. In last place, firmly in last place in uh, what's a loaded conference. Literally, the other nine teams in the league all have a shot at the tournament. All nine might make it outside of OU, which I can't tell if that makes it better or worse, what's happened to Oklahoma this year. You know, like I said earlier, not a whole lot of new ground to cover here. They're just not that good. They lost Texas Tech last night. They were in it. Um, But the final four minutes, which has been so bad for them so many times this year, they got totally housed. They lost by 11 in what was a really close game pretty much the whole whole night. Any shot at an at-large bid is probably gone at this point. It is what it is, right? At this point, I mean, it is what it is. They are what they are. It's really gone sideways. Um, there, there were moments in the second half last night where I felt like Oklahoma had a chance to win, but it never really felt like they were going to pull off that four-point comeback, right, execute that big rally and win. It just never felt like it. And I think that's where the fan base and where a lot of us that cover the team in the media, I think that's where we've come to with this team is that they, we we have really low expectations. And that's why when something like Alabama or Kansas State happens, we're blown away by it because our expectations are so low because of the product that we saw on the floor last night. Yeah, the Oklahoma State loss in Norman was the least contested 10-point loss I think I've seen uh, I kept looking up at the scoreboard in the second half, and I was stunned it was a four-point game. It felt like it never once felt like Oklahoma was winning that basketball game. It's a team that plays with no confidence. They stink. They're not any good. They forced 13 turnovers. They won the turnover battle in the first half, 13-3, to three, and were losing at halftime. They're losing. Like, that's all that all that needs to be said. They have no bigs. They can't contest when Texas Tech has a big man. Uh, if OU didn't force a turnover, Texas Tech was automatic. They shot like 70% from the floor in the first half, despite the fact they turned the ball over 13 times. And yeah, I never once in a million years did I think that Oklahoma was winning that basketball game once Texas Tech stabilized and was able to hang around despite turning the ball over 10 more times in the first half. It The, the only saving grace for Oklahoma is that Tech had won a couple of games so that this technically wasn't rock bottom. It's just part of meandering around on the floor of the Big 12 Conference. I think... Um, the way Tech opened the game and the way they closed the game, if you look at their field goal percentages, yeah, they shot a high percentage for the game. They shot 7 of 7 to start the game. They were 7 of 7, 100%. And then to close the game, it was nothing but layup lines and dunks down the stretch as Oklahoma tried to either foul or pressure or or trap or something. And it was one layup, one dunk after another. And so, yeah, that's something to me that uh, I don't think the team quit. I don't think anybody gave up. But I just think they reached a point emotionally where they did stop trying, if that makes sense. I don't think they quit like they made the decision, like, screw yeah. this, I'm out here. I just think they just at some point reached a an, um, a point in the game where it was a foregone conclusion. I'm not talking about the last couple seconds. I'm talking about the last about four minutes where they realized, maybe subconsciously, that they didn't have a chance to win it. Yeah, I think the fact that, Texas Tech, who, who's a decent team, you know, not not great. They're decent um, ter- on the bubble in the NCAA tournament. They came in and played their C game. Lots of turnovers, pretty sloppy. Davion Harmon didn't go off, which was a fear. You know, he's going to come drop thirty on your head. He didn't. He didn't really have that big of a game offensively. 
and they still beat you by 11 in your building. It's just, they're just a cut below the rest of the conference. Um, there's a gap there between everybody else. Uh, yeah, not, not good. Here's the real question. Who's more organized defensively in the last four minutes, either NBA all-star team or Oklahoma basketball? Cause this has been a trend for two years. <laughs> Oklahoma can't get it done. They cannot get it done in the last four minutes. Yeah, no, not good. Like I said, any shot in at-large, probably gone. I mean, sure, theoretically, if they win these next three games, make a deep run in Kansas City, could they still get one? I guess maybe, but, like, why would – that's not going to happen. Why? No. You know, so they almost certainly can't get an at-large at this point. They will have to win the Big 12 tournament to make it, which, again, why would that happen? And the body language of Jalen Hill and Tanner Groves yeah, in the postgame, the body language of Porter Moser – he usually is frustrated but energetic. This was almost uh, – he explained it, but in two or three of his answers, he basically was saying the same thing, almost like what else can we do? There's nothing else. This team is dead. There is – they've been dead for a while. You don't have to worry about theoretically if they string together wins because they're not stringing together wins. Like don't, don't yeah. waste any thought on it. Move on to the women who actually have stuff to play for and to Diamond Sports if, if that's where your head's at. I think there's some acceptance going on there and, and not in terms of that. They're not going to still play hard or anything like that, but just there's kind of a, yeah, we're not turning this around. Like it's just not, there's not as talented uh, as everybody else. You know, I said this last night uh, on Twitter, got some people agree. Some people push back, you know, I, I, I still don't think I poor Moser didn't just forget how to coach. You know, he took a thrown together hodgepodge team to within one win of the tournament last year. We thought they were going to make it last year. And they didn't on Selection Sunday. But they were really close with a totally thrown-together team. He took Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago to the Final Four and to the Sweet 16 another time. Like, you don't just fall into those things. But this year is a disaster. Um, I, I don't think that he should be fired. He's not going to be, but I don't think he should be either. I think, you know, it, you got to give him a little You got to give him a little more rope, in my opinion. Um, is, that, is that fair to you guys? I mean, I... He he has a good resume. He does. This year stinks. It's really bad. But you got to give him a little more time. The, uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about anybody losing their job. Year two, this this you know the program's still on the bounce back. There's this overriding kind of um, feeling that well you know we got to cut them some slack because they're in the Big Twelve. Look at the Big Twelve. Look how good the Big Twelve is. Eight teams, mm-hmm. nine teams, blah blah blah. They lost their home opener to Sam Houston, guys. This, this has been a problem. 52 to 51, they lost that to Sam Houston, who is slightly, what was it, Josh, slightly above them in the uh, the net rankings this week? So and One above. That one was one spot yesterday. higher. So, yeah, I heard somebody come back on Twitter when I said, this is unforgivable, this losing to Sam Houston. And somebody came back and said, yeah, Sam Houston's not that bad. Shut up. <laughs> Oklahoma does not lose its home opener for the season to Sam Houston. That's a disaster. And it's been brewing like this. Well, all year long. Yeah. And Bamasil again last night made some plays and you your eyes bug out when he does some of the stuff he does. If it if they'd been doing that all year, who knows where where this team would be uh in terms of the win total right now. Yeah, I think that the Texas loss, like that that was the last hope. Like if they had somehow found a way in one week to beat two ranked teams, one of them on the road, then sure. maybe they would have had a little Pep in their step. I think that losing that game late the way it did, I think you saw that it was just a team that emotionally kind of flatlined. 
And yeah, like the only good news, I guess, is that Bamasil and OA are being played and that Oklahoma has played a bit faster the last little bit. That's a evolution Porter Moser has to make. He has to. He talked even talked about last night that he was okay with some of the transition threes because that that's stuff that OU's been good at, which is usually not. He's usually like trying to tell him break, 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 break. So there's that going. But I mean, yeah, the season's dead, and now the question is just a really you know weird situation going along with Bijan Cortez and and Porter Moser talked about it last night that the players said that. Uh, on Monday is when they were informed from Porter that, that Bijan was taking that kind of step away from the program, uh, from basketball to, to focus on his mental health. And Porter Moser said he was nothing but do whatever you need to do, Bijan. We are all here for you. You'll be welcome back the second you're ready to be back, but but take care of you. And and that, that was announced by Bijan at about 6 o'clock, and, and that was kind of the only other noteworthy thing happening because this, this team – one more home game left. Yeah, no, you're just looking ahead to just wondering who will be on this team again next year. Um, obviously, only Tanner Groves can't come back. So there will be a lot of decisions to be made. Who's going to be back? Who won't be? Um, that's really where we're kind of doing attention now. But there is something nice for OU basketball fans. Do you guys see the Caden Cooper game the other day? You yeah, know, and then who's neck of the woods in, in yeah. old Ada, Oklahoma? 25 points, 27 rebounds, 10 assists. Good Lord. In <laughs> high school, that's like uh, dropping 50. I mean, that that's insane numbers in a high school game. 27 rebounds from the uh, 6'6 guard out there in Ada. So there are reasons to be to have hope uh, right now, I guess. But, uh, yeah, this season, it's, it is it is what it is at this point. Like Ryan said, you got something else, Hoof? Uh, just a 24-point game by uh, Elijah Harkless. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Out of UNLV. Um, he's having a good year. That's you know, that's one of those things that's just like, damn, that's too bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what kind of year Emoja Gibson's had, but... He beat Xavier. I, we, know beat that Xavier that we know that one. We know that one. I mean, Harkless has had a great year. He's he's in double figures every game. He scored 25, he scored 33, he scored 28, 27, 33, 24. That's just, I mean, you hate to see it. I mean, that's where this Oklahoma basketball program is right now. It's not the same because it was the previous year, but I mean, even, I mean, Davion. I mean, where would Davion be on this team? Best player? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's an argument for that. I think wow. so. You just yeah. have to think back to Porter Moser opened up the year saying they don't have any rondos on this team. They've got some shot clock guys. They can't buy a shot in the final four minutes. Grant Sherfield was awful last night, shooting-wise. It Yeah. Who You said it perfectly. It's been correct all season. You said it like right at the gate. They'll go as far as Grant Sherfield takes them, and he hasn't been good in in close games for the most part and that's why they lose close games all the time if he's hitting his shots like he was against alabama they roll they look great but when he's not it's rough and that's been the case all year all year it's just inconsistent uh play from him and by proxy the whole team so flip over to women they keep winning they've won six in a row uh they're they're streaking they're playing hot at the right time postseason's coming up they only have a few games left before the big 12 tournament Massive game with Texas coming up this weekend. Basically, I mean, if they win, they're in great shape to win the Big 12. Um, 
they're playing well. I mean, six wins in a row. I, I mean, you don't really luck into that. They're they're playing well and peaking at the right time, and we'll see if they can get themselves in position to try to win the conference and then obviously, almost certainly if you do, hosting NCAA tournament games again for the second year in a row. Yeah, um, they're tied, tied right now with Texas. Texas and Oklahoma, 12-3 and three, uh, atop the Big 12 standings. So this game, they're tied for first. This game on Saturday, 1 o'clock. It's on Sooner Vision, uh, ESPN+. Plus. It's, it's the whole season. And uh, our good buddy on Twitter, he's the, what would you say, like, he's like the Blinken Riley of Texas Twitter, right? Remember Blinken? I think he just goes by Blinken now where he comes up with these fun facts and these outlandish stats. And you think that can't possibly be true. And then you look it up and you're like, Holy crap. He's one of those guys. His name's Kyle um- Umlang. Umlang. Oh yeah. Never been able to pronounce his. He says, fun fact, the Oklahoma athletic department is now and nine against Texas during the 22, 23 season. They lost three, one in so- women's soccer. They lost three Oh in volleyball. They lost 49, nothing in uh, this little sport they call college football. They lost 3-0 in volleyball again. They lost 70-69 to in men's basketball, 78-58 in women's basketball, precursor to Saturday. Uh, they lost 4-2 in ten- women's tennis. They lost 42-12 to in rugby. That's a surprise because I thought the OU rugby team was national championship type contender, but I guess not. I didn't even know they had rugby. Uh, and then they lost 85-83 in, basket- in men's basketball. So this – Game Saturday, one o'clock, Longhorn Sooners in Norman is huge. It's going to be OU's first win against Texas of the season if they can pull it off. So, the, not to put too much pressure. Like I said, they lost by ten earlier in the season. No, was it twenty? Uh, they lost by twenty earlier in the season. So, not to put too much pressure on uh, Jenny Baranchik and those guys. But boy, they got to win. You can't fall to zero and ten against Texas. Well, you. This team has to start beating good competition. That's That's been their struggle. Last year, they did the double over Baylor in the regular season. Then when it mattered, they got torched in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, same thing with Texas last year. Earlier this year, Texas, the Iowa State game, when Iowa State wasn't reeling from losing their best player 90 seconds into the game, that's the only one that OU won of those. Like th- That's the real thing. The Big 12 conference is not good. Baylor stinks. They're 7-7, seven and seven, and so... Oklahoma going to the SEC and women's basketball and what that is, you got two shots to win a conference title under Jenny Baranchek probably before you're fighting. You have to be national championship good to win an SEC championship. So you need to go in there on your home floor and find a way to defensively lock down Texas. And defense is what got this thing done for Oklahoma against Kansas in their last outing. That's what they need to lead with. I know we want to talk about the style and the three-pointers. and It's fun. But they're going to have to find a way to defensively stay in this thing with Texas because just like that game against Baylor at home that they had the rough start offensively and couldn't shoot their way back into the game, that's what happened in Austin. They had the rough start, got back into it a little bit. Texas went on a second round, and that game just wasn't competitive the rest of the way. Ryan, to extend what you said, Utah, uh, Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas are their four losses this year. They're 22-4. and four. Three of those teams were ranked when they played them, and – uh, all four of them now are currently ranked. I think. I think Utah. Is. I'm not sure. Ba- what the, what. Baylor won't be because Nikki Collin is, has. She's struggling. They are. They are seven and seven in the Big Twelve. Ooh. Yeah. So talk about a hot um, seat. You're right. They got to beat good teams. They've beaten the bad teams and they've beaten a lot of uh, average teams. 
but they haven't lost anybody twice yet. This is that chance to uh, to keep that streak alive. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, we'll see if they can uh, get OU off the goose egg there against Texas uh, in the academic here. It's a little convenient because obviously if you just back that up a little bit, you have the softball natty and then the Big 12 baseball championship game. But that's not – you can bend the calendar however you want it. But, yeah, in a little bit of a – no matter how you slice it, on a losing streak. So you got to you got to turn that around uh, this weekend. Big game. Big game for the women. We'll see what they can do um, this weekend at the LNC. And uh, what kind of crowd they can get. It'd be nice if they could get a decent crowd. These men's crowds have been real rough, but they're also not winning anything. So it's like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Women are contending. So we'll see what they look like this weekend. Wrapping up with some diamond sports, softball took a loss over the weekend. Uh, started the year 8-0. They lost to Baylor on Sunday. I watched the end of this game in the Eldale uh, Mitchell Park press box, and it was like a it was like a gasp because everybody was watching it. It was like a oh, like it almost like a, they actually lost the game. It, the, the word quickly spread around. Um, they lost the game to, to Baylor, and they fell down to number two in the rankings first time in what was it like two full years, something like that. Um, it's so early. I mean, I, I don't have it in me to be too concerned, but I guess reactions and, and thoughts, I guess, on what softball has done the first nine games here. Because it hasn't been the, their usual dominant self, really, so far. Yeah, 18 straight uh, regular season game victories is not the same as 47 straight. There's no reason to panic uh, <laughs> in softball. <laughs> I, I think they're going to be fine. Um, it's 29 straight, uh, 29 in a row weekly polls that come out and there's 15 of those every year. So they went, you're right, two full years uh, being ranked number one since week three of the 2021 season, they were ranked when they were ranked number two, they've been ranked number one ever since then, 2021. So yeah, two full years. It's a little bit shocking, but I don't think there's any reason to panic. Um, When Jordy ball, and I say this with all respect, you guys know, I think she's an unbelievable elite all time type athlete. When she's your worst pitcher with an ERA of two five six and twenty five twenty six of the uh, she's allowed twenty six base runners in twenty one innings. That's not good. When that's Jordy Ball, you're bet you're basically your best player. You're one of your two contenders for National Player of the Year. I think you're in good shape. You know, if if your best player is going through some rough times right now, you got nothing to worry about because you know she's going to get it figured out. Yeah, you're great on the curve with this team because the last two campaigns we've seen have been two of the best teams, like best offense in 2021, 22, probably the best team. So yeah, it the hitting the panic button for OU softball means like they might be number two for part of the year and are still expected to be in the final four and, and to make the Women's College World Series champ series. But I think there is an element of like Jordy Ball does not look the same. She does not. She had major issues at the Mark Campbell Invitational with control. She was throwing a ton of balls. That was not the problem against Baylor. Her strike percentage looked really good, but the second she was under pressure, she caved and gave up a RBI single and that big three-run shot in the third inning. I don't think teams fear Oklahoma, which is a week like in the way that they have the last two years. They still celebrate like they win a national championship, but there's no Jocelyn Allo. Nothing Jordy Ball has done that so far this year. Sorry, Longwood. Longwood stinks. That doesn't count. Um, nothing Jordy Ball this year has shown that anyone should fear her other than like she's a really, really, really good pitcher, but she's not this year so far been just a I'm going to shut you out type pitcher. 
So there's that. The good news is that she's got all the way until the Women's College World Series to figure that out. We saw this was Giselle Juarez, and I think that Giselle Juarez was coming from a different spot because that was a surgery where she might not ever pitch again. Jordy Bolt was just a, hey, you need to rest that forearm and then trust it again. So I think that there might be some growing pains with Jordy in year two because she's being scouted differently, but also I think it's going to be a getting 100% confidence back in her arm and that I, I fully expect this team to be firing on all cylinders by June. So not worried about it at all, but a chance this weekend at the Mary Nutter to square off against UCLA. And if you want that number one ranking back, go beat the number one team in the country. Ryan, you remember the pre- the Zoom we had last year with um, Hope Troutwine where she said, um, I, I'm learning from Jen Roach. I'm learning things about pitching that I didn't even know existed. It's basically was something along the lines of that quote. I think at some point Jen Roach is going to step in with uh, Jordy Ball and say, okay, you've got all the ability in the world. Now here's how we pitch. You know what I mean? It's, it's a little bit different when you're talking about nuance. You're talking about overpowering people to where you have to outthink them. Um, as a second-year pitcher who's been through some things now, Jordy could probably use a little bit of a uh, little bit of that zen going on, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, because you got kind of overshadowed by the loss, unfortunately, is Jocelyn Erickson, the freshman, coming in and having an 11-RBI day between Stephen F. Austin and Army, which is just kind of incredible. Alyssa Brito is an extra base hit machine. Like, if she gets on base, it's a double or a triple, book it. You just haven't really seen the home run fireworks that you expected from this lineup, which I think there's still an element of everyone's waiting on Jocelyn Allo to step into that batter's box and hit the grand slam, and that'll just be another adjustment. But I think there's more losses on the horizon this week, and I think that A&M can step up and get them, Utah can step up and get them, and I just think UCLA is probably better right now. They're playing better right now than what Oklahoma has shown through two weekends. So. It'll be, it'll be interesting to track here at the Marinotter. I don't expect them to go clean through this thing like they had the last couple of years. Yeah, good point that they play UCLA on Sunday. They can get that number one ranking back if they stay undefeated and beat UCLA. That's all you got to do to stay be number one again. Yeah. Easy as that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, five more games this weekend. Uh, another tournament form, like uh, Ryan said, there in California. They play Cal State Fullerton on Friday afternoon, then A&M afterward. Saturday is Utah and Loyola Marymount, and then, yeah, Sunday – 11.30 Central Time. That's a really early start in California. I just realized that. It's UCLA. That's 9.30 there. Ooh. That's the, that's an early game to cover. My Get goodness. the body clocks out, baby. That's like Big 12 Baseball Tournament. First game at 9 a.m., which I have covered before, and it's weird. It's like I need breakfast with my baseball. Um, speaking of baseball, wrapping up with them. Bit of a you know slow start here. Two and two uh, opening weekend. They lost a series to California Baptist. They bounced back. Nice win on Monday against Air Force um, to get back to 500. They're right back in action tonight uh, against Abilene Christian down at Globe Life Field. Um, we said this. This is exactly what I said, basically, on last week's show. you got to have a little patience. There's going to be a slow start here. There's so many new faces. The, the entire nine, other than Kendall Pettis back in the nine hole in the same role he was in last year, Everybody's doing is either new or they're in a role they weren't in last year. I mean, Jackson Nicholas is batting cleanup. Like, that's not what he was doing last year, even though he was on the team. So, you got to give a little bit of time. Um, there were bright spots, certainly. Dakota Harris, the shortstop, looks like a dude. He was brought in to play defense, or to be, that was supposed to be his forte, and he's hitting so far. Kale Davis, the OSU transfer, looked great in his first start of the season. So, there's been bright spots. They're two and two. 
you got to give them a lot of. I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about what they're doing until almost literally like you're a few weeks in the Big Twelve play. Um, that's when there should be some concern. I mean, you you wanted to win that series, not pretending like you didn't, but it's so early. The season is so long. It's so early. But you know, bright spots, two and two. We'll see how they bounce back. Uh, some more winnable games here coming up. We'll see if they can get it rolling a little bit better here in the next uh, four or five games. How's this for a bright spot, Josh? Um, you come off the College World Series run all the way to the National Championship Series, right? Mm. And you come back, and yes, you lose those two of the three games to California Baptist, but uh, you were at the ballpark, and I heard Toby Rowland talking about it. The electricity, the crowds in the ballpark, over 1,000 for Crowd each, each game. Yeah, yeah. What, what was that? Now, you hate to lose that. You hate to put on a a bad show for a good crowd, right? We talked about that with Bedlam and basketball after the Alabama win. But uh, at the same time, I think they came back for that, that Air Force game. The, it was a Monday, and there were still a lot of people in the stands, and they were they were lively, and it was exciting, and they came back and won. And it was so maybe they're kind of turning the corner there a little bit. You yeah. think? Yeah. I, well, I just – Sorry. I, from the uh, – just my friends that are around Norman, things like that. Like there is definitely a lot more of a, well, we can't get tickets to get into Marina Hines trying to support that. And so there are a ton of people and, and it looks like OU baseball did a good job uh, recognizing maybe where their ticket prices were compared to other schools in the big 12 and readjusting. And I, I think it's kind of paid off with the, the juice and the energy from the world series run plus just kind of an acknowledgement that, oops, maybe we screwed up on that and it's getting the fans in. And, and that's going to be what's really important to kind of, like you said, get that thing energized and keep it rolling as, as the team comes together and, and starts to gel. Because Josh and I were talking about this uh, yesterday at the Lloyd Noble Center. It's like, remember, it was kind of midpoint of the season when they finally turned that corner, really turned it on and started reeling off conference series after conference series after conference series going to Arlington and then into the tournament. Yeah, the crowds were awesome. Uh, they were all weekend. Not even close the best February crowds I've ever seen uh, at Eldon Mitchell Park. Now, I did hope the weather was good um, relatively for February. I mean, you take 50s and 60s in February every time. This coming Friday is like 30. That's more That's more normal uh, for these early season games. Yeah, the crowds were, were great. You can tell that they picked up a lot of new fans. A lot of people found OU Baseball for the first time last year in that run. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to Ryan's point, it's not – Tickets are, are, are cheap. Eldon Mitchell Park holds like 3,000 people. It's open seating. It's not hard to get to. I mean, it, it's an easy thing to go do and go see a game. It's, you know, so it's very accessible. So I think that uh, helps, and it becomes more of a, a thing to do. I don't think a lot of people in the past maybe have even really thought of, like, go see OU Baseball this weekend. This weekend, clearly, it was a thing to do. Even me pulling into the parking lot, it was like, oh, there's people tailgating. There's cars everywhere. Like, it was – Different vibe for sure. Yeah. Um, this last weekend, which is cool, and Skip acknowledged it in post game as well. Yeah, that is cool. That's the way it used to be when I covered the team in the nineties and two thousands, uh, back when they were competing for super regionals every year and mm. trips to College World Series. Uh, you pull up to the stadium and there'd be people tailgating. What? Out in that big old Lloyd Noble access, you know, side side lot. There'd be people tailgating. Sure. So that. That was always interesting. Um, so it's good to see that back. Here's the important thing, though, is you've got to find – you've got to have success this year. You can't lay an egg after going to the College World Series. You don't have to go back to the College World Series, but you cannot lay an egg because next up you're going into the SEC. 
And those people put eight, 10, 12,000 in their ballparks every year. And if you're thinking that, or every game, if you're thinking that a thousand people is a good crowd, which it is at Oklahoma for a February midweek game, all that stuff, you need, you're going to need to, you're going to need to ramp it up. So they've got to continue that momentum. They've got to continue building. And speaking of building, they got another donation last week. It was two donations. They get two. No, it was one for 1.2 or 1.3 million. Hard to keep up. So yeah, they uh, they've got so the the wheels moving in place to be able to upgrade that stadium, upgrade the facilities to an SEC level. You've got to continue to win on the field now. You got to keep that momentum going. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll see how they how they go. Like I said, Abilene Christian tonight, uh, Wednesday night at Globe Life Field. Um, kind of interesting little midweek game there down there at the. Home of the Texas Rangers. We'll have uh, the recap for you. And this weekend, Ryder comes to town uh, for a three-game set. Weather is really spotty, so it might get pushed around. It's cold, and there's rain coming in. So I don't know if that will be played as scheduled, but uh, we'll have the coverage for you as well. Over the weekend, I'm hoping to get out there, I think, on Sunday, um, this coming weekend, as uh, that team tries to get it get it rolling. Still early. Like I said, bright spots. Pitching's been mostly pretty good. Offense has been a little off to a slow start, but you got to figure that'll that'll come along as these guys get uh, a little more comfortable uh, here in the next several weeks or so. All right, I think that's it for us. We covered a I lot got, of ground again. I got one, one more note. Thing. Sure. I got one more note. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the dulcet tones and watching on our video right over here. The 2022 OSN oh. play-by-play broadcaster of the year, Josh Calloway. Thank you. Appreciate well it. Well won, my Appreciate friend. It. Appreciate it. Yes. He's the uh, man. Exploits in uh, high school sports work. Uh, people who keep up with me know that. And, yeah, I picked up a little hardware this week. That was nice on uh, yep. on Monday. You had a tie yeah. on and everything. You were all presentable. It looked good. Boy, they said it was like a fancy thing. I was like, do I got to go jack and tie? And I did. I was, good thing I did. Everybody did. was in full suit. I was like, I would have been totally underdressed if I didn't. Where I did so. While they were out. introducing you or, or introducing the award on that video, check it out at Josh Josh M Calloway. By the way, he's got it uh, posted. While the guy was introducing you, I was like, he's going to come up there in his Yankees ball cap, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in the quarter zip, baby. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Thought about it, thought about <laughs> it, but we 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 cleaned it up, and uh, yeah, it looked good. Picked up a little hardware, and uh, yep. they, obviously, both of you guys play a role in that as well being accommodating for me uh to help me do that do those games and stuff like that who i mean just on monday covering baseball for me so i could go to that you know there's uh you know i i need help from time to time so you guys are play a part in that as well so thank you to you guys that's why Appreciate i turned you. the podcast over to josh i used to do this podcast bring it in bring it out and all that stuff josh is really good at it that's why i did that because he's so good at it see i mean i knew someday he'd be the osn sportscaster of the year i just didn't know what year so that's why i turned it over to him this is the first time too so i'm the inaugural you can never take that away from me they never wow wait first so of, I have that one of one can so do i need to yeah. start the change.org petition now of like it needs to be named after you you're the first one that wins it, oh, it, need, it needs like to be Kobe the Bryant josh, Bryant game MVP. The josh yeah. m calloway award the josh <laughs> m calloway osn play-by-play broadcaster of the year yeah I maybe I'll, I'll put a word in uh, for next year. Next year's banquet, I'll put a word in. Um, I don't know if I can. If I'm eligible to win it again next year, but I'll make a run at it. Get a dynasty going. Why not? Why not? It's not about the. Uh, dest- it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, I think that's it for us. Appreciate you guys. Um, 
We'll be back next week, wrapping up all the latest from OU football. We're in that tweener zone now, waiting to spring camp, but there will be things. There's always things. We got a lot of stuff coming at you football-wise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that we do. Uh, Lots of content coming. Who's got things locked and loaded always? Ryan as well, of course, all of us. And uh, basketball recaps coming up, and as well as the Diamond Sports. All that on next week's show. We'll be back with you next Wednesday. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And also watch shows on John Hoover Media Hoover's YouTube page. That's it. We'll be back next week. Brian Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.